G'day and welcome to the Automotive Society Podcast. This is your host, Siraj, and today I'm joined by two guests. I've got Harry. Howdy. How are we doing? Um, good, good. And we've got Emin. I'm back. He's back. Another one. They found back. him again. Yeah, we, <laughs> we found it. I ended up in the woods somewhere. I don't yeah. Know. So now we have three of us. Holy crap. That's, That's it. Terrifying. Is it? Terrifying trio. Um, This episode is mostly going to be Harry's introduction and Emin just to chime in and, you know, talk his usual random bullshit. Random crap. Yeah, fair enough. That's Um, the way to do it. And, uh, okay, cool. Let's start from the beginning. Harry, how did you get into cars? Um, See, the thing is, like, my family, like, we were never into cars, right? Um, Cars were never kind of a thing on the table. And then... I think probably when I was 17 during high school, where high school kind of went a bit rocky and like pear-shaped for me, I was like, oh, I'm not going to go to uni. I'm going to go build a race car. And apparently my brain chose a Toyota 86 for that to happen. So realistically, all I did was went and found a job at Toyota and just worked my way up there. I was washing cars when I just got out of high school and then ended up in the automotive industry from there um, and grabbed a car and then just kind of bounced my way around. <laughs> That's that's amazing. That's like so you just knew that you wanted to get into cars and you just were like anything to get me in the door. Yeah, pretty much. I just kind of picked whatever was there and moved my way in. I didn't really want to be washing like 50 cars a day in the heat. Yeah. But, you know, you have to do what you need to do it like, you know. It's a hard job. Like um, I've yeah, I've spoken to many detailers and seen many details do their job and it's quite hard. Oh, yeah. Um so that's cool. Um let's start from the beginning. So your family wasn't into cars at no. all. No, family were never into cars. We were a sports were you, family. Were you always into cars? Uh, probably Personally? Probably when I was like later teens, so probably like 16, I kind of started to gravitate that way when I could get my license. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, fair enough. So, when you wanted your license, you were like, oh, I like I like driving. It yeah. was just kind of cool. Yeah. Um, what was your first car? Um, well, parents' car was technically the first car, which was a 2010 Subaru RS Impreza. Oh, yeah. Good little car. Beat the crap out of that thing. Poor thing. Terrible, terrible that's a, car. That's actually a good car to start at. They are actually a really easy car to drive. Yeah. You know, really um, good car to drive. Like, it's 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 a car that people actually modify, so you weren't, like, mm. too far away from the modification scene in that way. Yeah, like, you know. Platform-wise, at least. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> heard that crack. Jeez. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... That was your first car. You yeah. had that for how long? Till your red piece? Yeah, till I was on my reds. And I still oh no, I still had it when I was on my reds. And then probably about six months after, so halfway through my reds, I ended up with the 86 because I got my reds just at the end of year 12. Then I went straight and got a job and then I bought an 86. Right. Yeah. So so you became a car washer at 16? Yeah, 17. 17. 17. It was just after my birthday. I got my license a little late. Oh, okay. Fair yeah. enough. That's all right. Um. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, full-time job straight away when you're 17. Straight away. Straight away. Just jumped straight out of high school into a full-time, and that was it. Just knew I had to work to afford a car and make money, and that was the way to do it. So, you know, I just knew what I needed to do. And you're working full-time today? Yep. Still going. Five years later, whatever Jeez, it is. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, wow. So, that's, that shows, like, you were pretty driven from the start, which is pretty good. Mm. Um, that's Cool. I, I guess I've never spoken to someone who went that route that you did. Um, normally people were like, I'm into cars, but I don't know how to get into cars. Yeah. People always questioned. I get questioned a lot how I got into the automotive industry and mm. what motivated me and what steps I took. So your step was just simple. You you rocked up. You were like, I want an 86. Um, how do I do it? <laughs> just got to make money and get it done. Like it's a Toyota. Was- <laughs> oh, I love Toyota. I'm going to go to Toyota and ask for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. And I I was only at Toyota for three months. So I I got offered a service advisor job at Volkswagen three months later. Whoa. So I was not there for very long. That's crazy. Kind of grateful though. So you were a 17-year-old as a service advisor? Yeah. Telling 40-year-olds with what their car needed and didn't need and giving them bills. That was not easy, but yeah, it was good. It was, uh-huh. Imagine being 50 and getting a bill from a 17-year-old for like yeah. $10,000 of repairs. Yeah, just give him a ring and I'm like, hey, mate, your, uh, your engine's blown. I know <laughs> more than you and uh, it's ten grand. That's crazy. It's, uh, it's pretty hard. <laughs> was that tough? 
that was really tough. Um, where I was at the time as well. Like, so I started at McCarroll's Volkswagen, which was in Hornsby and it was a, like an, an older team. So people are really stuck in their ways. And when you're a 17 year old kid with no mechanical background and you walk into the role where you have to sell car parts, you're learning yep. every day and the older people don't really respect you because they're wondering why you're there. Yeah, I can imagine. I was a I was a young apprentice, and I and I feel like I had the same where older people didn't respect me because they were like, "Oh, just another young and he won't last long," kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to be a service advisor, that's nuts because all our service advisors were fully qualified mechanics. Yeah, most of them. Um, so to be a seventeen-year-old and have no mechanical background <laughs> and become a service advisor, that sounds really daunting. I feel like I would have said no to that at that point. I would have been like, "No, I don't think I can do it." Uh, the uh, money, the money, I think, is what drove me. Like when I found out what the salary was, and like at the time when you're 17, you're working full time, and you get told you're making forty five thousand dollars a year. You're yeah, like, Fuck yeah. But at least I think that's a really good way to go about it. Is um, go become a service advisor straight away because most people do the mechanics, and yeah. then they're like, "This is not for me," and then they want to become a service advisor, and then they do it. But you've you've kind of got four years on top of them already, or five years at least. Yeah. Um, which means you're already better than them so were you training any people so when you were like 19 when i so probably when i first started advising so i was like obviously the junior so my team consisted of my service manager there was a receptionist and then two other advisors and yeah. then the other advisors were probably about i think they were like 25 and 27 so a bit of an age gap between yeah. us and the guy who trained me shannon he was the the eldest one he's been doing advising since i think he was like 19 or 20 so he's been doing it since he was quite young as well, but he was a mechanic too. So we stepped in and like he he walked me through a lot of it. And then after I left McCarroll's is when I probably started training people. So I got um I got poached out of McCarroll's probably about a year and a half in to Denlo Volkswagen after they were hearing about my reports as an advisor and how I was within the group and things like that. Um, and when I got there, I p- was pulled in straight in as a senior service advisor and I was training two other girls straight from the get-go, both with no mechanical background either. So That's crazy. Yeah, really difficult to do. Far out. Um, so that's so then you bought an 86 yep. with the money you saved up. Um, did you buy it from the same dealership you worked at? No, no, I got this privately. So oh, okay. I, I bought it from some some Taiwanese bloke in Riverston who <laughs> had no money and his brother was moving back to Thailand and knew nothing about the car. He barely <laughs> speak a lick of English and somehow managed to sign the registration papers to sign it over to me. Nice. He just saw the check and just gave me the keys. He didn't even know he had to sign transfer papers, which was quite funny. That's, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> but um, But that was your first car? That was my first car. Um, bone stock 86 I'm guessing oh, I had coilovers on it um, and I think tail lights in it oh, and some rims that was it that, that was, was it pretty much as bone stock as it could be pretty much yeah yeah but were they good bits or were they bits that you later replaced oh, I replaced all of it um, like the the coilovers were like cheap Chinese coilovers yeah. um, and the the wheels were like Koya racing coil like ones when Koya was like a bad brand so like they, they were not good like, okay okay they, they'd warped fair enough <laughs> Um, and when did you meet Emin? Um, I met Emin at McCarroll's. So what happened with McCarroll's was Emin was working for Sutton's and McCarroll's decided to, did we buy or did we take over the Sutton site? I'm pretty sure we took over the Sutton site. Yeah. So we, um, Volkswagen, McCarroll's Volkswagen started renting the, the old Sutton site where, um, across the road from the Blue Gum Hotel. That's right. Yeah. And... Part of the condition, I think, of renting that site was McCarroll's had to take on Kia and Jeep Fiat Chrysler as well. Yeah, we had to absorb the brands that yeah. were there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I spent, I think, a week or two weeks up at the like just with Volkswagen, and mm. then we moved. I think I started f- uh, f- beginning of February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty early um, in the year. I think it was four years ago, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's how I ended up meeting Emin. So, Emin was a mechanic um, for Sutton's at the time. And then when we merged as a group. Emin <laughs> yeah. just cracked open a bottle. <laughs> I, I tried to keep a straight face. <laughs> the look at his face is like, oh, no. <laughs> just cracked a bottle open. Siraj is giving him the dirty. It was great. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. So, um, yeah, no, Emin was a mechanic for Sutton. So we absorbed Sutton's and then I was advising. So I then had to go from changing advising just for Volkswagen 
to Jeep, Chrysler, Kia, and Dodge. I think those were yeah. all the brands that we had. Yeah. And Emin was part of the team that did those other like brands that we absorbed. So yeah. that's how I ended up meeting him. So I'd, I'd started my apprenticeship at that dealership when it was um, they were running uh, Fiat, Dodge Fiat, Chrysler, Alfa Romeo, Jeep, and Holden. And then I think they they'd previously had Kia there. Mm. They got rid of Kia and brought in Alfa Fiat. Yep. Within six months or a year, they got rid of Alfa Fiat and brought Kia back. And yeah. I spent three years at that dealership. And then um, due to needing staff elsewhere, I got transferred to Mossman Toyota. So then from there, I spent maybe eight months there, seven months there, and um, they wanted to transfer me again to Northern Beaches to work on Jeeps again. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So did you work with Harry only for that little bit or did you go back? To- no, well, Harry didn't know. So I worked with Harry after Mossman Toyota. Right. Yeah, so they were going to transfer me to Northern Beaches and I declined and one of my friends who was working at McCarroll's as a mechanic already said that their Jeep was going to be merging with Volkswagen and Kia at back at the old building where I started and he lined up an interview and I did the interview and they said, sure, we'll have you on, we'll take you on. Okay, fair enough. That's a pretty good pretty good story, I guess. Um, wait a minute. Very short and um, sweet story. Yeah. Like everyone went through all these hoops and obstacles and Harry just went, nah, I just uh, asked for a job and they gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so handed the job on a silver platter. <laughs> Look, things happen that way. Like I've been so like, lucky with that. I guess a lot of people we've had on the podcast, including me, um, I've had now four or five jobs, different jobs in the automotive industry. I've had 38 different cars. Um, in my life, um, I went when I was, I think I was 21 or 20, oh. 20 or 21. No, was that yesterday. No, 20 or 21. <laughs> <laughs> he looks it. Uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> um, but I think I was 20 or 21 when I, um, in one year had 19 or 20 cars. Jesus Christ. What? I what just, you just, what, parting them out? Were you rebirthing no, cars? No, I just... Got bored. Yeah, like I'd ADD buy a car and yeah. I'd, I'd love it. I'd fix it up and then um, get bored of it or find another deal that was amazing. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to make my way up and then sell this one and buy a better car. Yeah. And then I just kept moving my way up. I started, um, if you look at my money wise, like I had a $200 Honda Civic. Nice. That was like one of my first cars. Yeah. Which I sold, I think, for 600 bucks. Ooh, which money. then making I bought um, an Integra a crappy Integra, which then I traded for a Prelude, which I then sold for 2000 bucks. Oh, wow. We're stepping up there. Um, and then every time I just keep using that money. So like that $2,000 then got me something else. Um, I bought two 300ZXs for $450 each at different times in my life. How? And, um, <laughs> and they both had Z32 boxes. So I sold a Z32 box for like 1200 bucks. That's insane. Wow. Part of the rest of the car out for like another seven hundred bucks, and then wrecked the shell for two hundred bucks, um, and then just accumulated money from there. And then, yeah, my the only car that I lost money on was my R thirty three Skyline. Yeah, and that's because I was like, oh no, you know what? I don't want to sell this one. I'm going to keep it forever. And um, I just sunk so much money into it, and then later on realized that the entire shell at the back had been in a wreck, and it was bog. It was like four inches of bog. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so the re- it was a Japanese import. So yeah. I'm guessing it was crashed in Japan because the PPSR was clean. Oh, yeah. Um, and it crashed and it got fixed with bog and then it came to Australia and then some dude owned it who owned his own mechanical workshop in Liverpool. Mm. And, um, and he was just like, yeah, you want to be careful with this car. It had like a 411 um, mini spool diff. It was like a full <laughs> drift car. So it was ready to slide. The look on our faces when you yeah. just said that was like Jesus Christ. Quite the acceleration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She um she drifted everywhere all the time. <laughs> and um the way I so I really wanted flutter, like turbo flutter. Yeah. Because I think that was my one of my first turbo cars. Moving on from the Honda scene, that was like one of my first cars. Yeah. And um and even the three hundred ZXs I had before that were NA. Mm. So I was like, ooh, turbocharged. Ooh. I want some flutter. I want some flutter. So I um, cut out a Coke can and I made a gasket out of it and bolted it up inside my blow-off valve to block it. 
to make a dose. <laughs> and it dosed. It dosed Perfect. really well. That's what you it want. It was like a perfect RB dose, except because RBs use airflow meters or instead of manifold air pressure, um, it can't account for the air that's in the system because it thinks it's going recirculating, but it's not recirculating. All right. So every time it would dose really hard, like from full boost, it would want to die. Like <laughs> Just turn like, off. Like it would, yeah, it would basically stall if I like have the clutch in. Oh, and then like there are times where I'd be driving and it would stall out because I did a like a between gears it would stall out and I just did a <laughs> dose and um and I just slap it in the next gear and just clutch kick it back alive and just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> clutch kick, drop a gear, disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Only way to keep it moving. That's it. Yeah. So I bought that skyline for six grand. Um I spent I think the three I had from the previous car I had that I sold, like the 300ZX, and then I used 2K off my own money, mm. and um, and I lost money on that. Like, I ended up selling it for five and a half after I'd spent all this money on it, so oh, I was very disappointed. Dropped in the negative for um, the first time. Yeah, like, I had a naughty steering wheel. I had, like, all this stuff that I spent on it, and I was just so sad. I was like, no. Um, but then I picked up uh, an S15 for mm-hmm. four grand. And then I had an S14. Was it a was it a like a remote control car? No, real um, driving, <laughs> so I, except blown clutch. So, so not twenty twenty one price. So that takes this blown clutch takes twenty thousand dollars off the value of the car. Yeah, pretty much. If it doesn't drive, it's twenty thousand. Well, back then they were seven grand. Is, I can't believe. Oh I don't my know. god! Because <laughs> I never Jesus looked at S15s, Christ. any kind of S chassis no. back in the day. But like no. that's ridiculous pricing for something Didn't like that. I'm it. still talking when I was seventeen. And yeah. still, uh, I was a P plater. So I was still in high school, just for the record here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a P plater, and um, and I was like, "This is this is gonna be sick." I love Skylines, even though I wasn't allowed to drive it. It was P plate <laughs> prohibited. Um, the S fifteen, I wasn't allowed to drive because back then turbocharged vehicles were banned on your P's, regardless. Oh yeah, it wasn't a powder weight. Powder weight came in after I sold the S fifteen, um, which I'm sad about now. But um, <laughs> back when the Rexy phase then got really big, yeah, that that was ridiculous. I got sucked into that phase and ended up losing a really good Impreza. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Um, when Emin came on the podcast, he, he talked about how he um he lost he lost his GC8 that he was going to get. <laughs> um, oh no, that's so, I was that's so sorry. salty about that. All because I broke my foot. <laughs> Shouldn't have broken your foot then. <laughs> well, it was all in the name of basketball, man. Uh, yeah. You got to get buckets. That doesn't sound like a reasonable excuse to me. In complete honesty, that just sounds like a half-ass excuse. <laughs> I couldn't drive manual. Yeah, weak. Use your leg. My your dad, other leg. Like, the one car we did Use look your, at. My dad get some hand controls. Yeah, <laughs> right leg clutch, right foot accelerate. It's the same thing. All right, one the, man band. The one turbo, like the one WRX we looked at. I ended up looking at my dad had to drive it because I couldn't drive it, and he goes, Emma, "This is quite nice." And I was like, "Yeah, I know." I'd like to buy it. I love that voice you do for your dad. That's so good. Really do you like the voice I do for my dad? I need to meet your dad. I need to know if he doesn't actually sound like that. What if he's a hundred percent like the same? Oh man, I would I would actually pass out. (laughs) All of the comments I've ever said would run through your head as you're saying hi to my dad, and then you'd just be like passing out on the floor in stitches, like, do we need to call an ambulance? (laughs) It's all right, please get the garlic and fix him. Oh, His man. dad is not Indian for the record. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, just like, it's just like, that's my generic ethnic dad accent. Oh, it's so good. I love it. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with his dad's real world. There's no ethnicity problems here, we promise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's Skyline I lost money on. But then I had the S15, which yep. I then sold for six and a half to seven-ish. Um, and then what did I have? Then the S14, which I then bought a shell off. For two grand. That was really expensive. That's, that's wow. For a shell. Um, Back then too. But it was a clean shell. It was jungle green. <laughs> um, that's my kind of color. <laughs> but it was like really faded on the top and around. So I got a closed door respray for 1500 bucks in some dude's backyard. Um, just worked out. And then from there, I just, um, I had an SR20 and all that stuff mm. lying around because you could find them anywhere um, built that S14 up. I think I spent eight on it in total, building it Whoa. eight, nine, maybe. Back then, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, it was a lot of money, but um, but it was a really nice car, and um, that's I built it. Um, 
So my girlfriend now at the time was my best friend mm. and we used to go to car meets all the time because she's into cars. And um, she saw this S14 with the number plates, Cookie. Oh, nice. Or Corky. Yeah. And she was like, I love that. Like, because it sounds a lot like her name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, like, I, was, I, I had a genuine interest in it, but I, I was never into S14s. I wasn't even into S13s. I only yeah. liked S15s and that was it. But um, but when I saw my S15 or when I was picking and choosing between the S15 and the S14, it was a clear choice because everyone had S15s and then suddenly S15s were one of those cars that like all the P-platers wanted because the new rule came in with yeah. the power, um, to power to weight and um, like the Australian spec 200SXs were legal. So... I could legally drive both of them. Oh, actually, no. I think my S15 was a Jap spec. So I could legally drive the S14, but not the S15. Not that it stopped me anyway before. Um, I said, no, I want to be unique. I want to do something different. So I stuck with the S14. And then I remember that it was was a car that my best friend really liked. And I was like, you know what? I'll probably like it if I build it to my spec. Um, And then put the Jap kit on it. like the standard Series 2 S14 kit on it. It was a Series 2 anyway, and um, it looked amazing. And then I think two years down the line, I had the opportunity to actually buy cookie plates. Oh, really? So I bought cookie plates for it, and um, and it became the cookie. And um, it, would, it would go to car meets, fitted festival it went nice. to. Nice, yeah. Oh, God, fitted. Yeah. Wow. Was yeah. we talking fitted the one at the airport? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only fitted that we ever yeah, yeah, had yeah. and it was the biggest hyped up meet of the year. And it was amazing though. It was really good. And um I took the S14 fitted and it was on display and um the S14 was done and had been done for a while. So I was pretty proud of it and I just sold all my other cars like after that I had a I had a E30 and a few other cars that I bought and then I was just um going through dailies, basically, trying yeah. to find the perfect daily. Um, I had some weird cars as well as cool cars. <laughs> um, but the S14 was something that I wanted to keep forever. Yeah. So I loved it. And um, it was at Fitter Festival that my car was on display, but then it kept getting um, outshined by all these other really cool cars because people had spent like two, three hundred grand on their oh, car. Oh, yeah, 100%. Whereas my car was like, 14 grand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was nothing special. And um, I remember on the main stage on the limelight around the places were FDR X7s. Oh, yeah. And I was always like, oh, man, I really wanted one. I really want one. And it was that day I fitted that I saw that many FDR X7s. Because basically at that time, um, I was like, I kind of want to get my full car because I was about to get my full license. Yep. Well, about to in like six months from then. Mm. Um, but I was like, I'm going to start looking at car for my fools and um in my head i was like r32 gdr is what i'll get and back then you can get them for 30 grand no no 18 no yeah 17 18k you could buy an r32 gdr like a, a beaten up one it wasn't like amazing but um but i was looking at that and then the other one when I looked at the FDR X7 and I was like, oh my God, that has to be it. That's my dream car. I've always wanted a rotary and I've always wanted an FD. Like I love them. Um, but I always thought they were unachievable. But then I looked at the prices and I was like, an R32 GDR and FDR X7 are the same price. Yeah, you can't go wrong. And I was like, you know what? no las dos? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. But, and I was like, you know what? I've always wanted a 32 GDR, but I think the RX-7 would be cooler than a Skyline and I've always wanted to go to Rotary and I'd like to be unique. Yeah. That's the only reason I sold my S15 to buy an S14 because at that time, S14s weren't known. No one knew about S14s. People knew about S13s, 180s and S15s, but the S14s kind of went missed. Like, Yeah, it kind of just disappeared. Yeah, no, no one, one really cared knew. about them. They were so cheap. No one wanted one. Um, but I was in love with them. Um, well, I was in love with them after I bought it. But um, that's probably because it was like one of my first cars that I built from scratch. Yeah. But um, yeah, FDR X7 fell in love instantly. And I was like, you know what? This is the dream car that I want and I want to keep it forever. And um, I decided that on the day, the next day I went on car sales, started looking at FDs, found a few, looked at a few. Two weeks after fitted on the day, I bought my FDR X7. Jesus Christ. 
Talk about getting it done, right? Yeah, he's just like, I want it. Okay, I have it now. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and I bought that FD with the money I had accumulated from that $200 Civic. So, like, the money I had from buying and selling cars, that, like, all the profit accumulated to about 10K, 11K. And then I put another 1K on top of that. Wow. And, um, and I bought my FD RX-7. That's insane. Um, and my FDRX7 is an Ephony R1 touring, one of like very very limited numbers made. I yeah. think I'm one of my VIN number is I was one of the first hundred FDs ever made. Jesus Christ, ever made. Um, I think I'm 76. Far out. Um, of the 76th FDRX7 ever ever made. Um. Because I am a 1992 FD, yep. whereas they actually started making them in 1993. Wow. Model numbers wise, they're 1993. So mine's a year before as the prototype Ephony yep. for Japan. They weren't sold anywhere else. Wow. And the R1 Touring, my one came with cruise control and um, all the gadgets and gizmos because they wanted to prototype it and see if what worked and what didn't work and if people liked the car or not. Yeah. So they spent um, more money specking it up. Um, yeah, and I am the second owner of said FDR7. Wow. Jesus Christ. The first owner had it in Japan. Yep. Um, and then he had it for eight years, and then he moved to Australia, and he brought it with him. Wow. And he lived in Strathfield, where talk, I bought it from. Talk about a journey, though. Yeah, yeah. He was like 55 or 56 when I bought it off him. Um, he was a really cool dude. Mm. Like, he had obviously modified this car to like Jupiter and back at this point. <laughs> it had so many different mods that had been on and off and on and off. He gave me um, a folder of all the receipts down like he'd ever spent down to the oil filters that Jesus he had replaced, Christ. spark plugs, everything. Um, I had a folder this thick from the day it was from given from the dealership. Wow. The first eight years of it being serviced in Japan. So written in Japanese is all the service records. I have the original Ephony um, logbook and the owner's manual and everything. Like I have every single piece of paper of money spent on that car from the day he got it. That's insane. And I think in total he had 160 grand spent into That's it. That's just silly. He bought it for 120, I would like to say. Like wow. if I do like with inflation and stuff, I think it was like 120K he bought it for. And then he ended up spending a 40K over the time. Um, it did eventually get a Series 8 motor in 2010 or 2011. Yep. Got a Series 8 RX-7 engine that was built by um, Massport. Yep. And, um, yeah, and that went strong for, I think, 100,000 kilometers, and then it blew up, <laughs> and that's when I bought it. There you go. Um, yeah, my goal was to buy a blown-up RX-7. I did not want a running one. Because from what I would heard, if they hadn't been maintained, they could blow up at any moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if I bought a secondhand one that wasn't maintained, I uh, would not like it. I wouldn't have liked to have spent twenty five grand on a running one. Yeah. And then have it blow up on me the next day, and then I have ten grand to spend on it. Yeah, it's just so I was like, the way to do it. Yeah, I was like, if I just get a blown up one from the beginning, then you know what to expect. Then I know what to expect. I know I can spend ten grand on it, and I'll still have. I'll be twenty two grand into the car. And I'll be good. Yeah, that's insane. Um, by the time I got it running, I was twenty-one grand into wow. the car. So I got it running for nine grand with a Haltec ECU, um, all wired up and mild ported, still on the twin turbo and completely running, um, mostly factory. Yep. Except for the Haltec, yeah. which then tuned it up a little bit more and it made a conservative two hundred and fifty kilowatts at the wheels. Very tiny amount of kilowatts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pardon? <laughs> what, what do you mean? That's a little tiny. Amount of, that's tiny, that's, tiny. That's, that's plenty. No, it's not enough. My uh, Forester made 200 of the wheels and that was amazing fun. <laughs> no. The car weighs like 12, 50 kilos. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's heaps. Needs more power. Um, <laughs> more power, baby. Well, that's power what I is. said. So I took it apart. <laughs> yeah, look. That's what happens, isn't it? Yeah, um, it was running perfectly fine till one day I drove it into my garage and I was like, I've also got an Evo. 
I don't need this car to be this. My Evo is my daily, right? And mm. the FD was the weekend car at that point. Yeah. I daily the RX-7 for three years. I spent $250 on fuel a week. Jesus Christ. Um, what? worse than a chain smoker, what? man. It was That's horrendous. worse than your 86. That is way worse than what my 86 was. Oh, 100%. That's like, disgusting. But my, so you're telling me that when I put the 13B in my MX-5, I will be running out of fuel on a daily basis? No, no, no. no. Firstly, yours is NA. Um, secondly, I was running really rich because I didn't know how to tune. Um, thirdly, like it was just, um, I just wanted some flamey boys. <laughs> of course, the flames were 100% oh, necessary. Yeah, it's a rotary. Always. It's a rotary and it needed some flames. So that was that. Was that. Mm. And um, I obviously ran way richer than I ever needed to. So wow. that's that. Because um, I think one of the first mods I did was put a Walbro 460 pump in it. Oh, yeah. And, just um, a small pump. And then I didn't tune anything and I just let this pump go wild. Yeah. And that, you know, your fuel was probably just flying out your exhaust by that point. <laughs> Every time you put your foot down, $50. I wonder what my out. fuel pressure was at that. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh, we can go back PS- and find out. <laughs> <laughs> All of the PSI. Um, well, I hope, well, the fuel pressure regulator did its job to an extent, I guess. But yeah, it did run really rich. Um, but, oh, well, the car was good. I loved it. And then, yeah, and realized my daily made more power than my weekender, yep. like sports car. And I was like, I can't have that. I can't have my daily Lancer make more power than my FDRX7. Oh, God, yeah. So um, so I took it apart and I was like, I'm going to single turbo it and um, more fuel, more air. <laughs> more fuel than it already had. <laughs> more fuel, more air, more bridge port and um, all the port and go wild with it. <laughs> Give me all the ports, all of them now. Cram them in there. Yeah, that's <laughs> Immediately. it. Immediately. I want this thing to have so many ports it doesn't run. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, that's my story of why the FD is apart. And um, and my reliable daily needs another daily. Oh, God. I had a daily for my daily because my... Then, then daily I wa- for the daily. <laughs> then you need another daily, daily for, for the daily. daily. <laughs> Every damn time. Basically what happened because um, then... The FD was a part and I kind of forgot about it. I put it under a car cover, out of sight, out of mind. Um, even though it sat in my house garage, it sat in my garage right next to my room. And um, and yet I forgot about it. And then I started modifying the Evo. And um, now the Evo makes 280 kilowatts or something. Yep. So, you know, I got carried away. And now that's pulled apart. So now that's pulled apart. So now we've got two cars that are pulled apart sitting in the same place. That's it. And... Um, just hey, keeping that's each right. other company, staying warm and cold nights. And I'm, and I'm borrowing cars off people to daily. <laughs> yeah. But look, let's be real, right? All three of us in this room, all of our cars are going to be in the same place, all pulled apart, doing nothing with yeah, them yeah. at this point in time. Yeah, my Mazda's there now, and then the 86 will be there soon. Yeah. So, yeah. so literally all of our cars are going to be dead in my workshop. If yeah. you want, we can throw the, the Del Sol in there for good measure. Screw it. I'll just go buy another car, crash it. No, you've got two cars. No, I'll just you throw got- another car in there. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you can put the Outback in there. <laughs> Pull the motor out of my brand new outback <laughs> yeah. oh man take all the cars and take them apart in the same place yeah just how like, many dead cars can you cram in one workshop oh, just start I, picking up cars off the side of the road and pulling the engines <laughs> out. oh no what a way to do it though like you just seriously you just walk outside the workshop and you go eh, yeah that holden marina looks all right and just drag it in with skull yeah. drag it in with the jeep but harry we didn't get um your story you had an 86 you had the job right yes uh, you still you're still a service advisor no, so fast forward what? So when I said I left Emin in his little glory hole of, you know, <laughs> staying at Volkswagen. So I, um, so I got poached. He abandoned right? me. So every time, so I've been really lucky with my career. Um, I've been poached for every single job I've ever had. So I actually haven't gone searching for a job. I've been really lucky where I've actually been approached for jobs. That's and so good. I guess that's another thing in the automotive industry that a lot of people don't realize is um, we need more people. Oh, God, yeah. There's not enough people in the automotive industry. Never will be. There's so many people out there that want to work in the automotive industry, but don't do anything about it. No. If you ask for a job, you will get it. 100%. I think think that's going to change considering during the last two lockdowns, people have realized that the mechanical sector has an automotive section has been proven to be an essential service. Keeping all the trade, like all the tradespeople have been on the road all the time, keeping the country running. 
and someone needs to keep their cars on the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, always more mechanics are needed, service advisors and stuff like that is always necessary. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you got to get more people in the industry and more people interested in it. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. sorry. That's all right. So I ended up, ended up at Denlo Volkswagen, which is Paramount of Volkswagen. So year and a half of service advising, I went into being a senior service advisor, yep. um, which then I was training to other advisors. Spent a year with Denlo, um, and then I got poached by Skoda in Parramatta, and they wanted me to come and be the service manager at Skoda. So uh, 21, I got my first service manager position and went over to Skoda, um, was working there. I worked there through the first lockdown, very brief period of time, um, considering there was three cars a day, and I would sit there for 11 hours a day. It was pretty rough. So Jeez. I didn't stay too long with Skoda. Um, I ended up getting poached back by McCarroll's where old mate bearded man, he was still working. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I ended up getting poached by um, them because I think I got recommended by, I think it was Jess or was it you? It was Jess and myself. Oh yeah. yeah. So they, um, they recommended to my old boss, Chris, um, to, to pull me across and so he'd just started and he was looking for advisors and we both recom- like suggested you yeah. and he got into contact with you. So I took a step back from being a service manager and I came over as a very confused thing. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of issues with that job. I came in as technically a senior advisor and then was basically two IC for the entire period of time that I was there. And then I was stand in service manager when he was away or during COVID or during these things as well. So Jeez. yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. So by the time I was 22, I'd, I'd been managing, I've managed two different dealerships and I will say Volkswagen was probably the toughest one to have managed as well. So that's great. Yeah. Well, Volkswagen, Volkswagen is still a massive brand, right? Like you guys get so much traffic. Oh, insane. So many cars, so many customers. Like how, if I was to have a Volkswagen, right. And I said, I've got a problem. When's the earliest you'd have a booking for? Oh, I'd be like a minimum of three weeks. Minimum. Yeah. You want a loan car? Try five. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how bad it got. Yeah. So you guys were just flat out every single day. 40 cars a day, every day. Carryovers were taking like four days to get done. Water pumps, they ran out of stock in Australia. We couldn't get a hold of coolant. Yeah. Like cars were getting denied for warranty because they started becoming stricter on it, which just caused more problems for dealers. All right. Actually, um, speaking of things running out, have you guys seen the latest AdBlue? Yeah. yeah the urea drowned? problem. Yeah. Oh, man. Ablu even is being knocked back for buying in bulk. Yeah, like no one's got Ablu, no one. And like people are out there, and Ablu is one of those things. So for people who don't know, um, diesel cars in the last five years have had emission laws where um, they require some sort of some sort of liquid, which they call Ablu, um, to be sprayed into the exhaust, um, which lowers the nitrous oxides. Um, as far yeah, as I know, yeah, so no- it's a, it's a, gas levels. Yeah, it's a it's a chemical reaction with the fluid that um, reacts to convert nitrous oxides into like nitrogen and oxygen, or it'll be CO two um, instead of nitrous oxides. So, how in the last five years all diesels are doing is um, you need this fluid, like you need it. It takes about yeah. most cars takes about ten to twenty liters, right? Yeah. That's their tank. Um, and if you don't have it, like it'll give you a warning light. You have two and a half thousand kilometers left, 2,000 kilometers left, all the way down to 400 kilometers left. And then when you run out, if you're driving the car, it'll go into limp mode where you can limp it to wherever you like at like 30 k's an hour um, maxed out at 3,000 revs, I think yep. the rev limit is. Yeah. And then uh, when you get to whatever place you are, you turn the car off, you will never be able to turn it back on again. It just won't turn on. Yeah, won't switch on. So um, that's to avoid people driving without Ablu to, I don't know, save money or whatever. But it's bad for the environment and emissions um, emissions aren't good. So the problem we're having now in Australia, I don't know if this is worldwide or just Australia, we have no AdBlue in the country. <laughs> None. And the, the fact is truckies use AdBlue too. Yeah. And so we're currently already having shortages getting truckies to take stuff to Coles and Woolies. Yeah. Let alone we're about to kill the trucks that they then use to get to Coles and Woolies. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I would say AdBlue is very important, right? Like a, oh, God, yeah. a huge percentage of cars and trucks on the road is diesel. 
and um, and getting rid of something that diesels need means you're taking those cars off the road, basically. You're basically just killing diesel cars. Which is crazy. That's crazy to think about. And the fact is, yeah, no one can get it. Um, and Well, at the moment, it's the for commuter cars. It's only, um, I think, uh, German companies that are doing AdBlue with their new no, cars. No, no. I haven't Ford, seen... Ford's doing it. Really? Yeah, Ford has it. And um, I'm pretty sure some Subarus have AdBlue. They do. Yeah, some of yeah. the diesel foresters yeah, have yeah, AdBlue. Yeah. Okay. So, like, even Japanese is doing it. Yeah, because I haven't seen, like, Toyota hasn't done it yet. Um, and Volkswagen, though, they're um, Toyota some hasn't cars. Done it. It's an option. AdBlue's an option on AdBlue Volkswagen. AdBlue's an option. An Volkswagen? Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah it is. you can ticket. You can ticket now. You can choose to have it or not have it. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. I did not know that. I know Audis don't have that choice. Audis no. come with AdBlue regardless. Um, and then Germans in general, like um, BMW needs it. and Yeah. Yeah, but no, Volkswagen's an optional extra on... Um, when you purchase a car. I did not know that. Why yeah. would you ever tick it? Uh, people well, thought they were ticking it because it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know if there was some kind of like a promotion. That doesn't make any sense. Surely if it's like a emissions thing, you need it. No, not even like the brand new. I'm pretty sure the uh, the new W580, the Walkinshaw Amarox, they don't have an AdBlue option. No, well, they, they don't. They, yeah. Is that because they know that there's the whole AdBlue? No, W580 was released before... This but, AdBlue crisis started. But maybe AdBlue was um, a temporary solution, right? And then now they're getting away from it. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a volatile substance because if you leave it out in the open, it crystallizes and hardens. Yeah, yeah. Then oh. it comes to like people overfilling as well. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, my God. The it's so hard to get off. See. Or putting it in the wrong filler. Oh, people just pour it straight yeah, down pour, the fuel, pour tank. It, fuel tank. We've yeah. had to like replace entire fuel systems. Yeah, I've right. seen that happen a few times. Like, or people putting fuel in the blue tank. I don't, oh. How do you even do that? Mate, you literally, you, you pop the cap and it's blue and then there's nothing. And the yeah. blue thing says add blue here. Now I'm colorblind and I can still work that <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> like I'm smelling colors and I'm still figuring it out. That's the right place to put it. So like, yeah. you know, and you get customers coming in, they're like, oh, but you know, my car's telling me it's almost empty. And I'm like, well, how much did you put in there? I said, how much did it tell you on the screen? And they're like, oh, yeah, anywhere between 8 to 10 litres. So they pour 15 in. Like, where's the common sense? <laughs> nice. That's like saying don't touch the hot thing so you put your head against it. Like, people, <laughs> society is just very, very silly these days without blue. Yeah. So I wonder what's going to happen because obviously I'm pretty sure that there's an average consumer out there, if not many, whose car is not running right now because of an blue shortage. And they can't use it at all. If anybody wants to sell, sell their diesel AdBlue vehicles, I can give you a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, and then when we get AdBlue again, I'll just... Uh, yeah, 20 we'll, grand, thank you. Yeah, we'll just flip them over with a full tank of AdBlue. Alrighty. <laughs> just let us know. We'll start flipping cars. It's all good. <laughs> but surely this is going to make people go away from diesel. Uh, I think diesel is already starting to fade out. Like when I was back at VW again, like 2020. Well, oh, no, no, no. VW tried to phase out diesel in general because they got in trouble for it oh, diesel so, so Volkswagen was already anti-diesel not because people didn't want it but because they didn't want it they didn't want to get in trouble with it again well it's because they got caught doing something they shouldn't have done well that's why that's how Ablu got invented right it was because of Dieselgate that Ablu became a thing Ablu wasn't a thing before Dieselgate I didn't know that um, I'm well, pretty sure Ablu was their solution for Dieselgate wow there you go answers that question um, that's yeah. why that's why I find it really weird that like their solution is now a problem again. Well, <laughs> Going to get sued for the, the shortage. It could be they're trying to trick the diesel market, seeing as Mercedes, Audi, and BMW don't have an option to not have add blue, but Volkswagen does have an option whether you have it or not. So they're trying know. to promote their cars better. It's like, oh, look, you can run our cars on <laughs> diesel without add blue. Wow, would you look at that? I don't know. Ooh. I find it really weird. I find it really weird that. Adblue just vanished. It's yeah. because um, it China, came out of nowhere. It comes from China. We get urea from China, and China's upset with us at the moment. It's, why is China upset with us? Can you feel me? Do you in? know what Adblue is basically? COVID. It's you know. It's. I think it's, we know what it is. It's it's goat pee, but yeah. like, but then it eventually became synthetic goat pee. <laughs> <laughs> I get that shit all the time, man. <laughs> but Why does that sound like a really odd car park but, you get well, in like Lebanon? You know what? You know what? If you smell it, you can tell it's goat pee. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like you can smell it and you'd be like, yeah, mountain goat. Yeah, it easily. Smells, <laughs> it smells gross. Oh, it's terrible. Don't and ever get it on your hands. I wonder why it crystallizes. Oh, 
Well, it's synthetic goat pee. See, the thing is that it's got like, <laughs> special carbon fiber bits in it to lightweight it. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like like straight white crystal yeah. that forms everywhere that like, like that thing touches. Yeah, it's weird. I remember because as an apprentice, I'd get yelled at if I didn't clean it up straight away. Yeah. Because <laughs> as soon as it would cr- crystallize, they'd be like, oi. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know you left it for too long. Yeah. Ch- China being upset with us started with COVID because I'm pretty sure the Australian government launched an inquiry. I'm uh, pretty sure the whole world launched an inquiry into the lo- like the source of COVID. Oh, and it what? ended Did up we figuring and- out that the, the wet markets in China... Oh God! Don't tell and me then, we went after China. No, it wasn't the whole world. I think it was no, a, a lot of no, countries. A lot, like the European there, Union. Wasn't it like kind of the like who? a G twenty decision almost? It was like, the World Health Organization. <laughs> was it started by Trump? Oh uh, well, let's not talk about things started yeah. by Trump. <laughs> yeah, I will and, about a wall. Anyways, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> and, and then so from there, it turned into like disagreements between China and Australia, and then China stopped buying certain materials from us, and then now. Urea comes from China, so now we've suddenly got a shortage of urea. So they just what? Like the rest of the world can't make goats. I have no idea. I know a few goats. You know a few goats. (laughs) Hey, you want to start a black market urea? (laughs) I think I just hold the phone. We tried trademark (laughs) selling our blue for cheap. Selling our blue for cheap. (laughs) Or they just come and get it off us, and it's a goat. How much you want? Okay, I fed him lots of water. Sell it in bottles, or you can sell it like you can rent a goat to people. (laughs) (laughs) We straight in the tank. (laughs) (laughs) Just attach it with this coupling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. is animal abuse against goats. <laughs> oh, Poor goats. Man. This is not good. <laughs> this is not where we're... No, no, no. We're, we're going to stop this here. We're not going to go into this in the podcast. <laughs> we do not want to get banned. <laughs> Short-lived podcast career because yeah. of this. We, we, my, our workshop tried to get ahead of the shortage. Yeah. Kind of. Like when we first started hearing about it, we tried to buy Ablu in bulk. Mainly because we wanted to be able to, like, customers were calling us unasking. I feel like AdBlue? a lot of workshops tried this. But they didn't, they weren't allowing, like, Burson's Auto One, they weren't allowing people to buy in bulk. Yeah, because they, they said knew you can what? buy like, two, three bottles. Because they knew that's what the nothing. market was yeah. doing. That's, yeah. that's nothing. That's, that's one that's vehicle. That's enough to fill up a car. Yeah. That's one vehicle. And they came in, like, four liter bottles. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough. That's, that's crazy. That yeah, well, handle. like, because my part time job is working at Repco. So I, I get asked this AdBlue question, like, 50 times a day. And um, yeah, I'd get either calls about it or people would come in and be like, do you have AdBlue? And I'm like, no, mate, no one does. You can't get it from anywhere. They, uh, so I actually refer them to go to like a service station that has AdBlue on pump. Um, really? They have it on pump? Yeah, Caltex yeah, yeah, yeah. do. I had no because idea. of trucks. Oh, true. So yeah. like if anywhere there's um, big trucks going by or like road trains kind of things, um, they fill up AdBlue by, I don't know, like 100 liters or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So where you see like those tall bays usually where you obviously they fit them through. You yeah, but the there. thing is the nozzle won't fit like a Q7, for example, or like um, on Amarok because yeah. the nozzle's made for a truck. So so I just tell people to put it in a jerry can and then put the jerry can in the nozzle. <laughs> or you just sell them a funnel every time they come in. You'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll need this Caltex down the road. <laughs> yeah, basically. But like there's... It's very rare. It's it's harder to get AdBlue on pump than it is to get ethanol on pump. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like now. E85 is easier to get than AdBlue. But it shows the current climate we're living in, doesn't it? You know, we yeah. can't really control these things. Um, that's another thing COVID screwed up for me was E85 prices. Oh, join oh, the yeah. club. 98 as well. 98 skyrocketed. No, no, 98 was going to go up. I don't Without think us. that's a huge COVID thing. But um, like I, I reckon that was just... There's other factors to it. But um, E85... People use ethanol to make hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID, everyone's making hand sanitizer. Like there's breweries that usually make alcohol, are making ethanol to make hand sanitizer. So E85 prices went up because of it. Yeah. So we went from like, Bastards. I think it was one like dollar thirty to like Race. $1.70. Yeah, dollar thirty to $1.60 I am at now. Yeah. Um, it That's went how from- much 98 was like six years ago. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But 98 has always been gradually going up. Yeah, it's it was a never-changing thing. Like, you'd have the, the spikes weren't really low, but we always knew the median was always going to come back up yeah. to, like, 160, 170. Yeah, you know it was always going to go up. Like, right now, it's, what, $1.80 at least. 
minimum, I think some places I saw for like $2.10. Parramatta, where I, I paid $2.10 yeah. one time in yeah. the MX5. I had, I had to fill up the Del Sol once at $2, like 16 17 It was that's terrible. Disgusting. I that hated sounds it. insane. That was, it was, like, it was literally to the, world the most I've ever that's paid insane. for fuel. Like, so not, like, not even like you spend one, fifty bucks and you only get twenty five liters. Yeah, putting <laughs> twenty bucks these days is like six liters. Yeah, dude, no get way. your back and around yeah. the block. Like, to back the most, my motorbike will go from like six dollar fill ups to like sixty dollar fill ups. Oh god! Like the most I spent on filling up the Forester um, was I think maybe eighty dollars. Jesus Christ! Before. Before I sold it, this was before the, like the over two dollars spike. I had an RX seven, and then and then and then if I was to fill it up now, it'd be like a hundred and forty some dollars. Oh, easily, yeah, easily. Yeah. Oh, dude, imagine if I had the RX seven running today. Oh my god, <laughs> you would be so, literally broke. We wouldn't be having this podcast. Yeah, here. we'd be sitting on the street on a couch. With I'd megaphones. be holding a stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, just yelling so, at passersby with megaphones. So the my FD has a seventy six liter tank. I think it is. Wow, that's huge. What? Yeah, bro. And it goes through the it in like two days. The Forester has a smaller tank than that. Yeah, and it goes through it in two days. That's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> and I thought I had fuel problems at like 180 k to a tank. 76 litres gets me 200 k's. Oh, wait. You got more out of yours than I did out of mine. Yeah, but you drove your shorter distances, didn't you? I Maximum, like the best I ever got was like 180 out of the 86 with ethanol. That was the best. Yeah, but yours is like a 45 litre tank. 45 litre yeah, tank. Mine's 30 more That's litres. That's disgusting. <laughs> I have two of your fuel tanks. <laughs> yeah, look, let's not and, discuss And that. to fill up my fuel was like $120. What part of you thought that was like, you know, a sane <laughs> thing to do? Every Like you wake up in the morning and I'm like, ah, I own no money and I'm going to spend it all on an RX-7. You know why? You know why? Because when I started that thing up and it would go... Yeah, okay, that's a reasonable excuse. Instantly, I was like, "Worth do, it, do worth it." it. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> I will be. I will sleep in this goddamn yeah, car. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I can be homeless and have an RX-7. <laughs> <laughs> you could drive your RX-7 and cry in it. Mom, Dad, country. I'm moving home. Oh, this no. is why I never put um, bucket seats in it. You know, you couldn't sleep in bucket seats. Ah, of course, you can man. sleep in bucket seats. You cannot sleep. It. You I've can do a before. lot of things in bucket seats. Uh, damn straight, you can. I cooked a full course meal in bucket seats. Five star meal called me Jamie Oliver just on the dash of the eight six. <laughs> I just realised we just went this entire podcast and we got nowhere with Harry's life. Look, yeah, let's we, be real. We kept right? Let's be real. Side, side track. That's perfectly fine. My life ain't that big anyway. We're actually, so, we're almost caught up. We're pretty much caught up on. We went on. We're so only many. one job away from getting caught up. On. Oh we wow, you are so where many. where everything actually started, right? We went so many different tangents it's crazy yeah. so oh, we will God. end this podcast on um what happened to the 86 so what happened to the 86 well ain't that a story um look so in a brief kind of like short explanation um got off my piece about six months later got sponsored by cosmic performance went and turboed the car um drove all the way to melbourne turboed the car now mind you i drove all the way to melbourne on e85 i spent 490 dollars driving to melbourne Jeez. Just in fuel. Good Got to Melbourne. For that yeah, I know, right? Don't talk to me. It was a great experience. <laughs> I drove down there during the bushfires. Yeah, it would have been awesome. scenic. It was great. I almost died. Um, but look, so it got um, Henry and his amazing team down there built my turbo kit for me. We run a hybrid turbo. It was a whole shebang. We'll go into that at a later date. But um, then I ended up coming back up to Sydney. Car got sponsored by a few other lovely brands. And we kind of went from zero to 100 in about six months real quick. Car ended up making about 290 kilowatt roughly on about 15 PSI. And I started driving. I took a big break from driving for a bit um, just due to some personal reasons and finally got the car out on the track with support of a lot of people and went out on this track night. So I work quite closely with Benzin, um, Benzin over in Dural, the car cafe we have here in Sydney. And they had a private track night with Go Garage. And mind you, the, the night was pretty wet. Like it was wet. Like it was properly wet. It wasn't pissing down rain, but it had soaked the road it up. It was wet. It had already been raining. Yeah. And then it started sprinkling and drizzling during yeah. the during the track time as well. And the thing is, like, I wasn't super concerned about going out in the wet. Like, I... I'm, yeah, I'm yeah a, the wet wasn't your problem. No, I was, I'm a capable driver, um, if to say the least. And the wet wasn't a problem for me. So we went out and... Tested the car and had some fun with it. And I came back in. I think it was about the third session. I rolled back in and I'm Emin pokes his head through the window. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm turning the boost up. So I went out <laughs> at like, I think I went out in the rain at 240 kilowatt on slick tires. And I was like, yeah, nah, I want more power. I need more power. Jeez. And mind you, I was already out running the Porsche 
GT4 that was there, the Lotuses. I was out running every single car. Far out. And I was like, yeah, man, let's turn it up. And there's a so video. So this was a serious car? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it, definitely. It was. It made the power it needed to it was, make. It was a rowdy girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She uh, she got up and she boogied. She <laughs> definitely boogied. And there's a video of me leaving the And pits. you daily this car? Uh, yeah, for quite a long time. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you, if you decided to give it the bickies, you wouldn't be having bickies for a long time. You'd be off bickies. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> And um, there's a video of me leaving the pits after literally like 30 seconds after I turned the boost up. And you just hear me spinning second and third and my foot is to the floor. Like I did not <laughs> lift leaving the pits. And I remember when I came back in after that session, my sister said to me, she was like, the marshal says you have some massive balls because <laughs> I've just like over the crest, didn't lift, no worries. Anyways, we're probably, I think it was the sixth or seventh session for the night. So I think we're one session clean of the night being over. Yep. And um, to explain what it, what circuit like, was this? This is Eastern Creek, so South Circuit of Eastern Creek. So it was a half circuit. Yeah, Amaru, so, for those who know the circuits. Yeah. Sydney Motorsport Park. Yep. Yep. And um, there's this corner, and it's a bank corner, so it's kind of uh, negative camber inwards, and it's a left hander, so it goes up and over a hill. Mind you, we'd been sliding there all night. Everyone was stepping out, people were spinning out, and I was getting sideways out of the corner the entire night. And came into the corner and you see it on the GoPro video because we've got the GoPro footage. Car steps out. No worries. Car flicks out to the right. Catch it. It comes back and it hits this dry patch because it had started to dry up. And one of the wheels grabs this dry patch, throws the weight of the car to the left. And as you see, as the wheel comes around, I've got some nerve damage to my shoulder, slips through my hands. And you see my hand just completely not be able to grab the wheel. Back left-hand wheel hits the grass, and I'm spinning at 160 into the barrier. So I've collided with the barrier at 160, rear-ended. I spun the car around once or twice. I can't remember. Twice. Twice. No. Was no, it, twice? it was once. So you it, you came around the corner, flicked, flicked the car left, flicked the car right, and spun backwards into the into the barrier the tire wall yeah. and then it's clipped the front of the car as well yeah so i managed to keep the front end out of the wall but the back yeah. end was was properly done and then i locked the car up and managed to get it to stop sliding in the grass and that was the end of that um car got pulled off the track i ended up in an ambulance it was a whole shebang good time you know that's what you want on a wet track night Woo. Uh, <laughs> were you okay I no, so I took a bit of damage out of that. Um, so my shoulder, I actually retore my AC joint, um, oh. completely separated the joint from the socket. So anyone who's not particularly muscle minded, uh, basically, if you were to put a fist inside your hand and you were to move your hand forward away from your body, that is my joint leaving the socket, and it came back and tore everything on the way back in. So I've impinged every single nerve in my shoulder, um, and ever since the accident, I think that was what six months ago. I've been doing physical rehabilitation to be able to drive um, under pressure again. And we're probably about 75% of the way there to be able to drive again. Yeah, so. no, there's been big improvements in your grip and um, shoulder strength. Yeah, so um, that's been, it's been quite a journey. But the 86 is still, so we still have it. Um, the 86 is currently sitting in Emmons garage, soon to be going to Siraj's workshop. But um, yep. we're going to be rebuilding it. And it's going to turn into a, um, a monster of a car. The the second version of the car I had for four and a half years. Phoenix rising to, from the ashes. To think about it, like I had that car for four and a half years, and yeah. it turned, it went zero to one hundred, and it went from, uh, I'll throw a couple mods on it. Yeah, so what? And then you know, Nick Minut and fifteen psi flying down the motorway at two hundred and sixty, thinking, yeah, this isn't fast enough. You know, so it's a very very interesting outcome for what it was. Jeez. I think. Um I think we'll leave this podcast at the level where you <laughs> where you crashed it and um and then it was basically not drivable, right? Like the chassis's bent. Yeah. So uh you can't when you sit in the driver's seat, it faces about forty five degrees to the right. Right. So it bent the floor hard enough. Pretty bent. Um Okay. So the car took a lot of damage, you took a lot of damage. But um you're on your way back and the car will eventually come back. Yes. Cool. Um, I think we will leave our big plans for the next episode. Sounds good to me. Whenever we get um, time to do another one. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big story. Like you had a really easy way into the automotive. Well, not easy, I guess, but a, a simpler 
Simpler way. Simpler yeah, way of getting you, into you the automotive a, you industry. You had a goal, you had your vision and you stuck to it and it's worked out very well for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah Simple-minded. Which, which is really good. Like there's heaps of people out here who may, might be even listening to this podcast who don't know what they want to do during school or after school, but they want to get into the automotive industry somehow. Um, and what, what's your advice to them? Look, I just think the biggest thing I can I can say is no matter what you think you, you want to do and what everyone else tells you what you want to do, your heart will eventually put you in the right direction. You'll think it's a bad idea. That's the biggest thing. And you need to look at that bad idea and go, well, you know what, this is what I truly want. And I go out there and I do it. You will stick to it for a long time. And I stuck to it for four and a half years. I did that because I knew this is what I wanted to do. So follow your heart with it. Just put your head down and get it moving. It won't come straight away. Don't ever expect it to come straight away. But when it does come, it'll be the best feeling you ever have. And it was worth it? 100%. I'd do okay. it all again. Even yeah, if it ended in the accident, I'd still do it all again. Yeah, 100%. Right. I, can, I can 100% agree with that. Yeah, I'm going to say, well, you'll find out in the next episode why, but um, I'm going to say it will be worth it. Um, yeah. No matter what happens. So, yeah, on that note, on that um, sad but... <laughs> <laughs> inspirational um, thing. Inspirational but hopeful, hopeful note. Um, we will end this podcast. Um, thank you both for coming. No, thank you for having us. No worries. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, Emin's been here before. Um, Harry traveled a long way to get here. <laughs> it was a, it was a big, big jump out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> really long parachute ride down from Verdansk, man. <laughs> yeah. The wind kind of pulled him off track, of yeah. course. But we made it. We made it. So it's all You good. made it. That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you all for coming. And um, thank you all for listening. Follow us on our socials. Um, which is Instagram at the Automotive Society underscore. Um, and yeah, send us a message if you have any questions for Harry or Emin or me, in fact. But um, yes, yeah, you all later. <laughs> <laughs>